From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. On today's episode, hear how Claire Hints of Elsewhere Farm discusses how she, as a solo woman farmer, manages risk. She does this through value-added products, from adding value to her CSA box with pickles, to always self-directing her training to do things safely. Claire Hints runs Elsewhere Farm, a production permaculture farm near the south shore of Lake Superior in Herbster, Wisconsin. The solar-powered farm features perennial fruits and nuts interplanted on five acres, intensive market gardens, and rare breed pigs and chickens. Claire also serves on the Moses board. Note these are bonus episodes with Claire focusing on risk management topics. Check out podcast episodes 40 to 43 for more on her farm story. We're back with Claire Hints of Elsewhere Farm talking about, I know a topic both you and I love of diversification and value-added products on your farm as both a source of income, a way to use abundance, etc., especially things like pickles and sauerkraut and things that increasingly we can do in home kitchens under cottage food laws. But give us a quick landscape of what types of value-added products you do. Yeah, so um, I'm a solo farmer. I have a diversified vegetable and and some meat uh, and perennial fruits as well on my farm. And so first, just the concept of managing financial risk. How many ways can I use the product that I produce on my farm and have it in a season where I might not otherwise be pulling in a lot more income? So having processed pickles that I can put in my winter CSA boxes, having jams that I can sell at the very first market in the spring when um, in northern Wisconsin we have fewer vegetables on our farm tables. Uh, having products that I can put in my CSA box that just kind of round things out, make the, make it a little bit different than my neighbor's um, CSA. And that could be tea, that could be raw cider, that could be the pickles that I make. You know, we have an abundance of beans in one year, and so having pickles uh, created is a phenomenal way to add some winter value to the box, you know, when, when the squash runs out in February. Uh, the other aspect of the, the pickling process for me is really personal, which is uh, as someone with type 1 diabetes, I can't find sugar-free pickles uh, very often. And so being able to market my pickles as sugar-free, because I've developed some good recipes that work just fine without sugar uh, and are very tasty, um, that's an appeal for my customers too. Well, that's great. Yeah. So uh, especially in situations where like under cottage food law or specifically here in Wisconsin currently under the pickle bill where we can do high acid foods, keep calling it the pickle bill. It's not a bill. It's a (laughs) law, right? Uh, 
But the fact that we can do high acid foods out of our home kitchen, but in Wisconsin's case, and with a lot of states, there is no specific requirement of well, food safety training, much less an inspection, because these are home kitchens. So, yeah. so what are some of the things you've done, though, to help you manage risk in understanding the process when yeah. you're not given a specific protocol? Right, yeah. As much training as possible is really helpful. And right now, it's a good opportunity. First, with the FISMA regulations, there's a lot of trainings available regionally and nationally, and, and even so if FISMA, you, yeah, yeah, Food I, Safety and Modernization Act, and this is the broader legislation, yeah, that national, national legislation, still being sliced. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing a long topic. Work, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to work out there. Yet it's still an, a moving target. And uh, for my farm, I'm I don't fall under those regulations. I'm smaller than um, the threshold in where those regulations would apply. But it's still useful for me to go and check out those trainings. There's just good information. For example, how you might store CSA wax boxes um, in a screened-in area so that rodents can't get into that area and chew on the boxes and leave little droplets, <laughs> uh, for example. So really basic things that, that all of us could really use. Um, th- that aspect has been really helpful. I would also recommend if you have the opportunity just to, be, to work in a kitchen for a summer or a winter. I worked for a business that made sauerkraut for a winter, and it... Even just the basics of, well, how do you wash the dishes after you're done for the day? How do you mop the floor? How do you make sure that all the equipment is properly cleaned? Making sure that you have a hat on your head so that hair hair strands don't get in the food. Um, wearing a face mask at different times. So just that basic training was so helpful. And it's reassuring to my customers, even though that I, I don't um, have those regulations uh apply to me, the customers appreciate uh, that that I've got some training. And I'm in a, a direct marketing situation mostly so that m- I can talk to my customers about that. You know, it's not like I'm selling wholesale um, regionally, in which case more of those certifications would be helpful for me. Um, I'm selling direct at farmer's markets. I've got a, two CSAs, a winter and summer CSA. But being able to talk about food safety is is reassuring to my customers. And it's something that I can offer them that um, other farms don't necessarily have. And you raise a really good point, Claire, going back to FISMA, because a lot of smaller scale farmers, probably a lot of women that listen to this podcast fall under that exemption, which I won't quote because it's probably changing. But, But that point you made so valid is just because you fall under that so you don't have to go through the full FISMA palooza doesn't mean it doesn't apply to you. Do you know, right. and, and you yeah. should still be learning these yeah. things. And getting and, ahead of the curve too, it may be that your business grows to the point where you, yeah, really you want to have those guidelines and you'll be 90% of the way there by the time you, you know, make sure you have a dedicated wash station um, for washing hands, making sure, you know, on my in my case, it's making sure that I have a, a work plan for the day where I've segregated, you know, how I'm working in the vegetable fields compared to when I'm doing animal chores, different pair of boots, those kinds of things, just so that um, I can manage, you know, those kinds of risks. So, you know, it's things that you learn at those workshops that are like, yeah, that's just pretty much a good idea, period. Sure. And one thing I've learned too with the value-added products under cottage food in one's home kitchen, it's particularly important to highlight the food safety when it comes to managing risk, because 
it's a home kitchen, right? right. Do you know? And yep. it gets gray for me because it's my house, do yep. you know? And right. I, I don't, I don't say I don't have food safety top of mind, but it's my home and there's yeah. all kinds of other things going on in my kitchen. So what I do when I do my pickles and sauerkraut under the pickle bill is I go in a zone. Do you know? It's like all I'm doing is making these pickles and I'm not making dinner or doing other things. And I clean the kitchen. I Mm -hmm. sanitize the countertops. Do you know? I I, I wear a hairnet. You know, I do all these things. So I know I did my due diligence on the Mm -hmm. food safety net. And I find when I multitask, by nature, you're diluting your yeah. your your risk management abilities, yeah. right? Because oh, there's yeah. other things Even just coming attention. up, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So that at least and I having feel... that bounded time, you know, mm-hmm. is documentable too. Mm-hmm. So regardless of whether you're under FISMA or not, you know, being able to say, okay, these are the times when I process my pickles, you know, and these were the basic conditions, and here's my cleanup procedure um, and what I do ahead of time, and that's just helpful documentation to have, you know, should anything happen. Um, you bet. And on that note of legal risk and the rest of your farm, yeah. Uh, well, t- we've been talking about this, and we'll talk about this in other episodes because it's a big, it's a big beast to to crack. But insurance and how oh, do yeah. you manage your farm business? If you could talk to us a little bit about your structure, how you're processed, or some. Uh, Issues or things you've worked through along the way on that or resources oh, yeah. for folks. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. So I've grown the farm over the last 10 years and that I'm, I got to the point uh, last year when I decided that having a more full-blown farm liability policy would be a good idea. So um, up until that point, I had a basic uh, home insurance. I had a, an umbrella liability plan, basic un- umbrella Um, and I was talking with other farmers and where this started was we were having a gathering and we were talking about how much we were all paying in insurance. And by the way, it was wildly different and no one of us had ever- Monetarily, you mean like hundreds of dollars? Yeah, everybody's policy costs were quite different. And because we weren't that different as farms, it was a great eye opener to say, you know, we need to do a little bit better shopping because we're paying probably too much money. For our insurance policy. Nobody ever says they're not paying enough, right? Right. <laughs> Maybe not you enough know, coverage. Right. But fair exactly. enough. Coverage. You know, and we compared coverages and, and we literally had a session where everybody brought their coverage plans and we went through them and we're like, Really? Okay, oh, that's a great idea. Yep. So this company is doing this. And so insurance companies are all over the map and they're it's increasingly difficult, at least where I live, to find insurance companies that actually understand farms. Instead of, oh, you've got a hobby farm and you're primarily working at the local college or something. So that was the first step was we did a, these comparisons and went, you know, we probably don't have the right insurance company. I went back to my original insurance company uh, and I liked them up until that point. You know, and I said, can you do these other things for me? And and the, the additional expenses were going to be so huge. So specifically, uh, I'm starting to have meat on my farm. It gets processed at a local plant that's state inspected. Um, I've, you know, got all the licenses for all of that. And um, then it comes back to my farm and the um, county inspects the freezers where I have that meat. I can sell it from the farm. Um, And so I was looking to do that. And my insurance company just, it was going to be so prohibitive, like 
customer, I couldn't sell it off my farm. The customer had to pick it up from the butcher plant. It was just like, no. So I talked to, I happened to talk to a different farmer at the farmer's market. She's like, I don't have to do any of that. Like, no way. And here's my insurance company. So I went to talk to them and they put together a lovely policy. And I was at the size of business where it made sense, first of all, to have that extended coverage. And it made sense uh, financially. It was something I could work into my budget. Um, and that was a big step for me going forward. So now I have additional protection for um, the extra um, diverse products that I have on the farm. That goes flies by right back to the financial risk, which is now I've got pork products, which I can sell year round and fill in some of the gaps in my uh, cash flow seasons. And so, you know, it you have to look at when's a good time and sooner probably rather than later to get some insurances like that because they open other doors, um, other markets and um, give you some peace of mind. Um, and so, and, and, and shopping around is great. Um, and especially online today, if you're not near folks that you regularly talk to or, or feel comfortable talking to about these topics, there's a lot of on- online comparisons that you can do. Um, and, if it starts to get too convoluted, it's a good signal to maybe look at a different company because other companies, it'll just seem like no problem. You know, oh yeah, you're a farmer. I've insured these other five farms. So one of the things that's I'm, that I'm working on my farm is building up to a farm store, which is a lo- another layer of liability insurance. Um, and the insurance that I bought for my farm so far, the woman, I talked to her about that ahead of time. And she said, oh yeah, we also insure these other three farm stores in the region. Great. I can go talk to them about what they think. I can get a sort of preview on what I'm going to need to do um, for the policy uh, or what it's going to cost. So really helpful to, to look at that stuff. Yeah. That's a super good tip of finding other people talk in to similar other situations. Yes. And, and to yes. a, one could argue a valid a transparent insurance agent would be willing to share that with you of other farmers in the area, other farmers period in similar shoes, because it is a challenge. I know we've been in that boat where if you're the first of something with anybody, much less an insurance agency, that can be hard. Yeah. And understandably people are trying to fit you into their boxes, but yeah, there may not be a box for what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good idea of asking around and seeing how, Hopefully, people weren't in a situation of crisis where they needed that insurance. Yeah. But if they were, or at least how they were handled up until that point, because yeah. I understand you definitely. If you are in a crisis mode, you want that agency to have your back. Right, and, that's the time. And yeah, that's feel not the time for shopping. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And each of these companies has their own underwriters and algorithms and risk um, calculations, and so it's it's nothing personal. You know, your local insurance agent in one company may not be the right fit. And it's just that simple, you know. And sometimes they really have what I would call quirky requirements. Yes, very much. We once, and we've tried to to shop around our insurance. And here we have a lot of the agritourism component in the bed and breakfast. And I remember one agency was like willing to insure us, but we had to take down our sign. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And they couldn't give me an answer. It was just some (laughs) checkbox. Yeah. The whole thing just felt wrong. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Not if you're marketing your business. No, and I'm rural. It's not like, I don't even know what, it just seems odd. Why would you insure a business, but they can't have a sign? So you got to look for those red flags too, where you're just, this is not a fit. Yeah. And if you are in a situation like we are here, 
where we do have a local agency and yeah. you can talk to people in person. There is still something to be said about that, or at least yeah. look at it as an option. Uh, because again, if you're in those situations of crises, it's great to have some boots on the ground right. to help you out right. with that. And a good local agent will be also working with a couple different lines of insurance and can say, well, under this one, this is what it would look like. And under this one, it would be something different. Yeah. And you may have some flexibility there too. And how do you look at, this is a broader question, Claire, but how do you personally look at risk? Because I think it's one of those situations that especially we as women farmers, we can overthink do you, know, if you, if you can <laughs> yes. overthink risk to the point of you don't take action. Oh, yes. Because it's easy to come up with all kinds of scenarios that could happen. Right. And right. how do you find your comfort ground of, yeah, I'm insured enough, but you know what? Life happens too, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's having some... Um, spending some time thinking about, you know, well, what's the worst case scenario that could happen? Um, how am I, how can I protect myself from the worst, you know, if somebody sues me, you know, what does it look like to be protected in that way? And, you know, having a, having a conversation with a financial advisor at that point is a good idea. Separate in addition to the it, insurance Absolutely. Agent. Yep. Sure, yep. So how, how is your business legally structured? Um, so you're um, protected in, in different situations. Um, and, and then just, you know, it's like not hard to file LLC paperwork, you know, for example, if that's the fit that you have, there's lots of other business structures, which you talk about, Lisa, in your ecopreneuring book. Um, it's important to really important. Yeah. And, and then you've just got to be bold and go forward and, um, have some faith that, that, um, you're doing your best to manage all risks and, um, People are generally, you know, willing to go with that. And so it's, you've got to have a business. You can't just, if, if you're so nervous about the risk of doing uh, home, home pickles in your kitchen, um, then maybe you should not do them. Yeah. You know, farming is inherently risky. And so I think uh, we might have a lower um, tolerance for risk or a, a higher tolerance for risk, perhaps, than other parts of the population because we've already faced financial Cash flow crunches and weather catastrophes and physical injuries. <laughs> We're seasoned in that. We're category. seasoned. You know, it's, that's it's a really all, good point. It's all about building resilience. So you know, that's that's everything from multiple pathways of income to multiple um, ways of protecting yourself against a lawsuit. Um, you know, making sure you know you have a succession plan for your farm. Everything. Yeah. Um, thinking of all those ways, any way you can re have redundancy in your system, um, the more resilient and less risky you're going to be. And that's all those categories, health and money and um, liability and all of that. Excellent. Great. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.